Promise No Promises is a series of podcasts that has its origin in a research project initiated by Chus Martinez and supported by Instituto Sush, ArtStations Foundation Switzerland and Gracina Kulcic. The aim of this project is to raise attention to the role, language and importance of art education in positively influencing gender equality in art and culture. The first chapters depart from material recorded during a two-day symposium at the Basel Art Institute on the 10th and 11th of October 2018. There, a group of artists, curators and art historians, moderated by poet Quinn Latimer and Chus Martinez, debated on the questions that surround the question of gender. Is there any beginning that can proceed without questions? We don't think so. And yet, should the queries concern gender, the question of women and transgender issues? Should questions of masculinity also be asked? And are these general inquiries similar to those queries that follow us to work, within and without the arts? Are practical questions relevant? those that redefine our thinking on the matter. Our old and new feminist concerns, arising from a spectrum of feminism, adequate to cover the entire spectrum of questions that we may need to ask. Are these queries an exercise we may desire, as well as a protocol we may embark on to test the equality health of specific professional and personal situations? Do you think you can avoid having to deal with all these issues? Are you afraid of talking? Does the sound of your own voice give you pleasure or make you wince? How much money do you want to earn? Do you think your career will continue to rise in the near future? Are you afraid of your own desires? Is it better to remain mute or to disclose your ambition, even if many times you seem to not find the words to express it? Gossip. 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 So at a Basel bar a few years ago, a very prominent Swiss curator, male, um, told me that he didn't show uh, women because he didn't think there were any good Swiss women artists. And then all the young male artists who he was with started laughing and drinking with each other. I was the only woman present. And they were goading me. Um, but I guess my question is, do you think gossip can be a form of activism? Is gossip a form of activism? Um, I think it is, but in my opinion it has most of the time a negative impact. Um, of course it's always, it's very um, pleasant to uh, participate in gossip, to hear gossip. But the, I have found myself in situations, uh, similar situations like the one you just uh, described. And I realized over time, acquiring experience, hearing uh, from my peers and mentors, most of them women, that um, I should stay away, stay clear of gossip and try to avoid gossiping myself. Or 
take an active stance. And here I have to quote Stephanie, who said, uh, you know, who talked about aff affirmative action, mm -hmm. try to maybe correct that. So I think like when you, um, when you find yourself in such situation, of course, being the only woman is hardcore already to start with. But what can we do? I'm, I'm wondering what should we do in that situation? Can we actually try to re start rewriting um, history in the bar with these males, drunk, laughing at us, saying like, wait a minute, I know hundreds of great uh, Swiss female artists, let me tell you. But imagine that we take them seriously, that they are really having a great time and they really say what they mean, so they are honest on top of it. Why do you think they think that there is no great Swiss woman artist? Why do they have this opinion in the first place? Well, th there's two possibilities for me. Either they were joking, uh, or he was joking, the main uh, the curator, and um, or, they're, or they're stupid. But I don't know, there's no uh, other options for me, and I want to assume they were just joking. But imagine that this is a philosophical text, that these guys were actually drunk, unfortunately, but they were actually trying to do a philosophical proposition. They were saying, under, no, under existing conditions, there's absolutely no clue indicating in my senses and in my way of perceiving that any woman in this country is capable of reaching my memory. I cannot remember any woman name. I don't think then that there is any great one. Otherwise, I would keep it in my mind so that they are actually Kantian. They are looking for conditions. They cannot find them. And um, they identify um, the situation and they analytically propose that there is no good ones. So what do we do with that? It must be a truth in them coming from philosophy. I would assume that they are, they are not joking because humor uh, in the country is more subtle than that. So that would be more German, so less Swiss. And that they are really not stupid. So what, is, what do we have? Well, I, I don't think they were joking, sadly enough. But we find ourselves, if we go back to that very moment where I wasn't, but I can only uh, very well imagine it, uh, these, these male artists and that um, well-known curator uh, were at Art Basel, the, I mean, the most important art fair we have, uh, one of the most important. What did they see during the whole day, during the whole week? Um, as you said before, 80% of uh, male art produced by ma white male artists. I mean, this is fact, in indeed. So maybe their opinion is built on what they've been witnessing, which is uh, white male art. So, of course, somehow we could say as philosopher, I don't blame them. This is what they saw. But it also may be that the conditions that they are, you know, now they are more um, less Kantian and they are more Bergsonian drunk philosophers. And they, after being in Art Basel and in Switzerland for a long time as Bersonians, they came to the conclusion that their retinal and their senses are not reached by any input of, of that thing that they call female art. So because they cannot perceive it, they enter into a complete gnosiological blank. And they automatically thought that then there is none. So my question is, do we see also that it must be something going on in the whole thing that affects us? 
So because they are only reporters that drunk philosophers, they may be super sweet people and, uh, and are having the best opinion of female in case they encounter them. So we need to assume it's true. They never encounter women artists in Switzerland that they stroke their mind because otherwise they, they are not dishonest. We are in the center of Europe. Why should they be so dishonest and say the contrary of what happened? So they did not encounter any. Why? I think the question is not that they didn't see them, but that in uh, here is where representation matters, is that uh, women, people of color, anyone in the sort of margins are constantly taught from the more moment that they're born to identify with those who do not look like them. Because there's no other, if 80% if of the people at Art Basel and you want to be an artist are white men, you are going to look towards that work and it's going to make you feel something. And you're going to feel some sort of allegiance with it and you might use it as a model for your own practice. But if you're a young white man and you have 80% who look like you, you do not need to look at the other 20%. There's no identification with artwork made by, by women, by anybody else, because they don't need that, basically. And I think that's, that's, like, that's, one, um, that's like one side of it in a very, like, said in a very profane, basic way. But I think what I was sort of suggesting with that question was, was the, gender, the gendering of language itself. What is gossip and what is like gospel? What they were saying, as you said, as you made it so nice, Nicely, maybe they were presenting a sort of philosophical theorem, basically. But what I'm doing by reporting it to a crowd as a woman is gossip. So it's about the judgment, the value judgment of what language is, by who speaks it, by who voices it. You know, and so they were unembarrassed to say this, like quite not just cruel, but very idiotic. I mean, they sounded very stupid. I was I was very shocked thing to me that they knew would make me feel uncomfortable, make me upset maybe you know, get them get in an argument. But, but my knowledge as a woman is that I am not supposed to repeat it. Because when I repeat it, I am the one in the bad place. OK, they were know? a radical situationist group. <laughs> still philosophers, still drunk, but more of the situationist uh, um, component. Like they wanted really to disrupt the view that you have into the, into the you know, you as the only woman, they needed to tell you that there was no good of your kind. Gossip, 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 I had to think about um, Adrian Piper's work in which she hands out these little um, cards to people calling out uh, racism when she's at a dinner party, for example, and the card says, um, I'm a person of color, and your racist comments make me really uncomfortable, and she just hands them to people. And I think that's actually really smart, because very often you don't want to argue or use language because you would only be laughed at. What else can you do? You can maybe, I don't know, <laughs> maybe throw water in their face or something, like interrupt a situation. And I think this card thing is actually very smart and, yeah, maybe effective. This was kind of what I was suggesting with this question, was that... Um, is that their voices and their ability to say this, um, and it was, it, it was both a joke and it was not a joke at all, was a form of power that they were, that the curator was asserting and the young artists were learning how to assert through him. It was the power of language and it was the power of language used in sort of, uh, in patriarchal structures. And 
basically, I mean, I, we look to the we look to the last weeks. We look politically um, what's happening globally right now. And as Natasha said earlier, the sort of patriarchy and global patriarchy right now is, it has been unmasked in this kind of unprecedented way, at least in my lifetime, where. Um, the, the, the language of misogyny and the sexism and the, the way in which women's voices um, are, are described um, as, as shrieking, as gossip, as, as this kind of lower form of language making, which means a lower form of world building. Because what do we do with language? We sort of build the world that, that we're in, either reflecting it or that we want to be in. Um, is, is, is constantly circulating. So I think this is the question. I don't, I mean, no one wants to be sort of the teacher. I didn't see my role in that bar as educating them about all the amazing women artists that are surrounded by. That wasn't the question for me. You know, the question for me, because I think, yes, in, if, if these boys, if these young male artists had grown up in a Switzerland where, say, 80% of the work they saw at Art Basel and in the museums were by women and people of color and, and people who are not from the West. You know, maybe they were from the global South, and maybe they were from elsewhere. They're from the provinces, not the capitals, all these cliches. Um, what they said in that bar would probably be very different, but that's not the world we live in. So, so it's, a, it's a question of also changing our own views about what language is and the language that we use and terming it not as gossip, you know, not as shrieking, understanding that our, our voices are are inherently should be heard, that they're powerful, you know, that they're not, um, that, that maybe passivity is, is not the sort of appropriate feminine way always to maneuver around these situations. Gossip. 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 But what do you think? Is there any good uh, f female artists in Switzerland? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not even the question. That's why, for me, it's hard even to consider the, the, the yeah, the, the question. But perhaps, yeah. do you think that you need to do something? That if there is fantastic female art in Switzerland, why is not uh, talk of town? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So what what should we do to change then that perception? Because something happened. I mean, for me, uh, so Queen, you didn't say anything, right? You just you witnessed this. Um no, they said it to me. Oh, they said it, was, it to you. I was with them. Okay, okay. Yeah, but yeah. I, I, I guess, I mean, pragmatically, um, just not playing that game and not answering uh, would be would just project uh, the 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 speech uh, to themselves again. And and uh, I mean, I would say that's the strategy. To adopt, but in more like in general. Um, but these guys are taking your space. I think they are situationists, yeah. and they really are creating a new path to navigate the art world. So unless you move, mm -hmm. they're gonna. I think they are taking a space. They are not only talking. They are actually um, naming and linking points of contact. They are putting points of different spaces together, making a big space. Yeah. So it's not enough to say, oh, they are idiots. Uh, that's what I'm saying. They are, they are radical situationists. So um, how do we, coming from the arts, uh, create a, a movement uh, to, yeah, you know, what to do, in other words? Mm -hmm. So w what would you do as an artist? Or um, what, is, what do you think needs to change so that this space is differently mapped? 
I guess I learned to, uh, in, in, in general, uh, like professionally and personally, just to consider them uh, as the poor ones, having this idea and having this position. And actually, I feel powerful to, to hear that because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, um, but did poor God, guys, poor, did poor God people listen to your general. prayers? I guess. <laughs> That's a very interesting. No, I, I know it sounds it sounds very um, like like I, I would diminish myself. Um, I just I'm, I'm I'm not someone who can raise my voice. I just I can't do it. Like um, I'm not able to do it. Uh, I don't know how to do it. And but I uh, think this is the most beautiful statement because that's at the core of the problem. Mm -hmm. no, because absolutely. they were able to raise their voices, mm -hmm. and many women are not able. The reaction to something like that is usually mutinous. It's usually silence. Mm -hmm. It's also from myself, um, and I'm not a very silent person. But when confronted with statements like that, which basically are crossing out your existence, and you get them all the time, what do you do? You go silent because you've been crossed out for a second. And so you need to, this kind of, this kind of embarrassment that we have about our own voices, this embarrassment we have about, um, about where we want to be in the world, where we see each other in alignment with each other, with these men, so forth, with power. It needs to be spoken. It needs to be redrawn, basically. Yeah, but not everyone can participate of the struggle in the same way, and that's the interesting thing. That That's why I think that we need, in the arts, some sort of a transfer. If you don't raise your voice, somebody needs to raise it for you. Yeah. So there is a, a transfer. And then I also think that we need to think about taking everything very seriously. I think not dismiss any structural thinking from Catholicism to the uh, situationist. So um, the thing that interests me the most the last years is actually think about what would really piss off the situationist being drinking in a bar. And coming from Spain, I think I know what it is. Do you remember when the lines appear in the wine glasses? Because before, when I was small and you were ordering a drink, there was no lines. But then, thanks to the European Union and the influence of very civilized countries like Switzerland and Germany, when you order a wine, a line that says uh, 0,2, was in all our glasses, unprecedented revolution. I never saw male so peace in my life. So I do think that we need exactly that line. So I am thinking that I could be the contemporary of the boss of Kafka. So a completely civil servant kind of person, um, just going through these lines, like the kind of you know the kind of moments when you disrupt the fun, you cut it. So it needs to be cut. Uh, but the question is how, and it cannot be language because you cannot be there and say, no, no, I know so many very good things. <laughs> no, that cannot be. But it's like, uh, from now on, there is no more alcohol. I think it needs to be some norms, new norms, to radically change the behavior. Like, uh, you know, like, like, um, like Natasha said it this morning, awareness is not enough. I think they are completely aware of what they are saying. They are completely aware of what they are forgetting. So of both realities. So the question is then, what would make a change in the, in the dance? And that's also a question for those here. What makes them change the it's behavior? Right. And, and it cannot be that they change it by themselves. No, it has to be will. the loss of privilege, as you pointed out before. But not only. No, but it has to be the loss of power, because power is what enables that, that kind of conversation. But you cannot that kind take the power just right. Like, that's what well, I not think. in that moment. I think that I, I came to, to conclusions like really very recently, that it needs to be absolutely by, by like, I know, perhaps I am a, a Frankista, but it, it could be that I am completely into that kind of, okay, then they cannot be this kind of gatherings. Ah, then you cannot drink. 
are then just as like, it needs to be normative. It needs to be like certain things may not be perhaps possible to happen for a while. Uh, suspend that for a while. This behavior needs to be suspended. Gossip. 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 First of all, as we know, the, the change is not going to happen overnight, right? And this is also why we're meeting today and why we have met so many times uh, to discuss these issues. But you said before, from the point of view of the institution who has the ability to change uh, systematic oppression, for example, you are the head of Institute Kunz, so you have more power in this structure to implement those changes, which you are doing. And I think everything that comes, you know, if in the trickle-down structure, that means that I, as a teacher here, I apply changes that I learn through that institution. I learn this possibility of change in different institutions, like this school, uh, another school, the one in Geneva, for example, the one in Zurich, uh, the Kunstverein, where I'm active as a curator, etc., etc. Yeah, but I think not risking becoming um, an anecdote or... You know, or yes, because there is a woman running an institution, then this woman, of course, is interested in these questions and so on, which we need to use kind of positively. I would say here, like Natasha was saying this morning, use me as a display. But I think that there is, it needs to be analyzed in, in many complex structural ways that also demand some sort of a, of a performance. I think that we need a set of exercises. So if you are Catholic and the others were like the situation is, I would be the yoga teacher. I would just, just go for the introduction of a series of protocols and exercises that would exercise things otherwise. Because the, the thing is that you can also not be like a cluster. You cannot, and things need to change. I need to change like now, because I don't know you, but I'm in a hurry. I think um, there is certain things that I would like to see, and they are not complex at all, and that they do not imply the death of anybody. It just imply like certain, um, you know, certain set of things being said all the time and being repeated because they are forgotten. I they forgot it again. Then we say it again, and then they would forget it again, and then again and again, and then it's the same with the media, with your social media, with your Instagram, with every text with every references that you do, don't go to a conference and only praise the male voice talking, or don't go to an exhibition and only point to those works by a male. And, and this is the easy thing to do. And there is uh, like explanations for this behavior. And the question is how to break this and do it differently. And that's really not something that can be done only in an individual way. I think it needs to be done in an institutional way. It needs to be completely monumental. It cannot, it's not an individual choice, in other words. I no. think it's an, in, it's a, it's an institutional um, social construction of a new democracy of behaviors. Gossip. 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 Um, I guess my question is, instead of asking, is um, gossip activism? I wonder if we can ask, is honesty activism? And then my other question is, or I guess comment, I don't know if it can really, the story can really function as gossip unless we know the name. 
And then that feeds into this question of honesty, or, or how, to, how can it work? I'm not sure what honesty is, to be honest. I don't know if it's more honest to name somebody than not. I think for my purposes, uh, women in sub such situations are usually go nameless. A woman in a bar with a famous curator, some young up-and-coming artist. The woman, even if, even if the women are there, they're not seen, you know? And, um, and so in that case, uh, I would rather the men in this situation remain nameless. I'd like to name myself and I'd like them to remain invisible for the moment. Um, I think they have enough visibility. But you, you've asked if honesty is activism, I would, I would say I'm, I don't know. But I think transparency can be. I think it, as women we have to request for transparency, at least when it comes to you know, pay <coughs> inequalities. And I think you mentioned that also in your article, Choose in Eflux. I think you have to ask how much uh, someone of, with the same position was paid before you, or is usually paid, so you can either you know, get the same or slightly more as you advocate. Uh, but transparency is activism, and the lack of is is also a power is a tool. But transparency uh, is power not used against. But women transparency most of the time. is not activism because you cannot. Meaning, for example, if you ask about did the artist participating in a certain show receive a fee and I didn't, or if you think that you have a new commission and you have that kind of suspicion that the money that they are offering may not be the same as they were offering to somebody before, because then you wonder who paid for the production with the money that you are offering. Like there is some sort of a decalage and so on. So transparency is not activism because you are the one rendered yourself transparent in having those doubts, but actually the structure is not gonna give you that information or is trying to avoid that. And it's getting hold of that information, which I think is quite fundamental. I also think that you know, transparency and thinking about institutional transparency and pay, which is, is super important, often we think about it, it's related to the idea of shame. So that if everybody knows what people are making, people will be shamed that the, that the men are making so much more than the women. But I think what, like, what these few days, I'm sure, will come out and what's coming out in our sort of politics at this moment is that patriarchy is completely shameless. Like there's no, I, I don't think most men are shamed about the fact that they're making more. They know that they make more. This is like, this is sort of knowledge across the board. Maybe they don't know the exact amount but sort of operating in this idea that people will be shamed into sort of good ethics and equity, um, but which is often the thing of transparency. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, let's put it otherwise. Let's be structural. It's always true. They would offer in you 20% at least less. That's always true. Knowing that, act accordingly to that. It's, it's always going to be true. So if you just repeat to yourself that every commission and every invitation and every money that they offer is going to be 20% at least less, than a male counterpart, then you know. It's like being the Tsoko. You need to, you need to bargain. And you, you have that information. You have it now. And believe me, it's true. So it's true. It's very true. And 20% is a very good scenario. It's normally up to 40%. So if you know that, and we know that, then we know a lot. And, and also, what's the shame talking about it? There's reasons why they don't want to give us the money. So, and there is reasons why we want the money. So it's a true negotiation. You negotiate for what you want. And that form of activism is basically the basis of labor politics and unionizing and solidarity movements. It's talking about pay. It's, talk, it's being very open about it and talking about 
you know, what people can get, a kind of living wage, all of these but things. But all these real conditions are fundamental because if things don't get specific and real, cannot get abstract and complex. So one thing demands the other. You cannot do one without the other. You cannot do theory, you cannot do thinking, you cannot do philosophy without the specific conditions as well. So you really need to create conditions of a certain, um, of a certain comfort for certain um, communities to be able to grow. So under preservation law, we need to actually protect. And I would protect by putting much more. I think not the same, but much more. I would not uh, assume that we need quotas of 50-50. We need actually 60-40, if not 70-30, for a long while. Because to reset systems demand a complete different uh, running through them. It, they cannot just uh, get readjusted by a new equality that then is democratically accepted by some sort of the power of representation. It's not true. And it's interesting that's not true because I'm not even angry about it. It's just a fact. It's true that we need to demand more, but it's also extremely difficult. If you, It depends what position you're in because very often you don't really know how much other people are demanding and you don't want to risk not being given a job because you ask but for too much. But that's why these conversations are so fundamental because we are here not only to tell ourselves that the situation is crucial, it's urgent, that we have problems that other people don't have, but we do have them, that there's a discrimination, but also to have our faces and our hands together to be able to ask others and to create this kind of networks where you are absolutely at easy by asking, hey, I feel something strange. Do you feel it too? And, and this is, I think, really, really, really important. But I think actually the way that they get us to take less money is by putting that exact yeah. thought in our heads. Because I think in actuality, when one negotiates, not always, but as a woman, It's not, it's, it's not always like a negative outcome, but I think most of us do not negotiate because that's the exact thought that they've put in our heads and they know they will get us for less because of that. But so what, they're not going to take us, but they're going to take but, the next guy who actually negotiates for even more. Natasha said know? at the beginning, it's called struggle. So it means that you need to try a couple of times till you learn how to do it. I think it's also a question of, of practice and you need to take the risk, I think, of course. Yeah. The risk is that they say no, but they may also say yes. And I would say normally they end up uh, saying yes and saying, fucking bitch, you got much more money that I wanted to give you. And, uh, and it's true. Yeah, I, I would also like to say that you are right in this. I mean, I've never experienced in all my life an ex, um, kind of like any negotiation that failed just because the person was asking too much money. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. People, yeah. Yes, yes, it, 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 but it it's can happen because it's a question of how you negotiate. And if you, and that's what I'm saying, that behavior is so interesting and, and it's a social performance. I think I'm seeing that really as a theater. You need to think about what we are living now. And I think when uh, Natasha was talking about solidarity is, is key, but we structure solidarity always in this kind of left uh, systems of solidarity. And I would call it coexistence or agglomeration. So there is many formats right now of protesting and many languages. I think it's as valid what I'm saying as what she was saying. I think I'm getting blocked, I cannot talk. That's exactly the agglomeration of, of these situations, many of them, but really together, really, really close to each other. That nearness, that care, that love, that makes a difference, I think. Gossip, 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 gossip
gossip, 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 Okay, so um, so for my second reading, I'm not going to read um, words of mine. I'm going to read um, a short text by Audre Lorde, uh, who was a 20th century African-American poet um, and writer and teacher and feminist and lover and activist and many, many things. Um, and there's a beautiful book um, called Sister Outsider of her essays and speeches. And I quite like them because along with the texts that I read earlier today, which were written to be read out loud, these, many of these texts were um, first delivered as lectures or addresses. And so the language has the kind of cadence of the spoken. And I think politically that's actually um, a kind of very interesting um, aspect of this writing. Um, not just the content, but the way in which it's delivered. So. Poetry is not a luxury. The quality of light by which we scrutinize our lives has direct bearing upon the product which we live and upon the changes which we hope to bring about through those lives. It is within this light that we form those ideas by which we pursue our magic and make it realized. This is poetry as illumination for it is through poetry that we give name to those ideas which are until the poem nameless and formless, about to be birthed, but already felt. That distillation of experience from which true poetry springs births thought as a dream births concept, as feeling births idea, as knowledge births or precedes understanding. As we learn to bear the intimacy of scrutiny and to flourish within it, as we learn to use the products of that scrutiny for power within our living, those fears which rule our lives and form our silences begin to lose their control over us. For each of us as women, there is a dark place within where hidden and growing our true spirit rises, beautiful and tough as chestnut against your nightmare of weakness and impotence. These places of possibility within ourselves are dark because they are ancient and hidden. They have survived and grown strong through that darkness. Within these deep places, each one of us holds an incredible reserve of creativity and power, of unexamined and unrecorded emotion and feeling. The woman's place of power within each of us is neither white nor surface. It is dark, it is ancient, and it is deep. When we view living in the European mode only as a problem to be solved, we rely solely upon our ideas to make us free, for these were what the white fathers told us were precious. But as we come more into touch with our own ancient non-European consciousness of living as a situation to be experienced and interacted with, we learn more and more to cherish our feelings and to respect those hidden sources of our power from where true knowledge and therefore lasting action comes. At this point in time, I believe that women carry within ourselves the possibility for fusion of these two approaches so necessary for survival and we come closest to this combination in our poetry. I speak here of poetry as a revelatory distillation of experience, 
not the sterile wordplay that too often the white fathers distorted the word poetry to mean in order to cover a desperate wish for imagination without insight. For women, then, poetry is not a luxury. It is a vital necessity of our existence. It forms the quality of the light within which we predicate our hopes and dreams towards survival and change, first made into language, then into idea, then into more tangible action. Poetry is the way we help give the name to the nameless so it can be thought. The farthest horizons of our hopes and fears are cobbled by our poems, carved from the rock experiences of our daily lives. As they become known to and accepted by us, our feelings and the honest exploration of them become sanctuaries and spawning grounds for the most radical and daring of ideas. They become a safe house for that difference so necessary to change and the conceptualization of any meaningful action. Right now, I could name at least 10 ideas I would have found intolerable or incomprehensible and frightening, except as they came after dreams and poems. This is not idle fantasy, but a disciplined attention to the true meaning of, it feels right to me. We can train ourselves to respect our feelings and to transpose them into a language so that they can be shared. And where that language does not yet exist, it is our poetry which helps to fashion it. Poetry is not only dream and vision, it is the skeleton architecture of our lives. It lays the foundation for a future of change, a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. Possibility is neither forever nor instant. It is not easy to sustain belief in its efficiency. We can sometimes work long and hard to establish one beachhead of real resistance to the deaths we are expected to live only to have that beachhead assaulted or threatened by those who have, who have been socialized to fear, or by the withdrawal of those approvals that we have been warned to seek for safety. Women see ourselves diminished or softened by the falsely benign accusations of childishness, of non-universality, of changeability, of sensuality. And who asks the question, am I altering your aura, your ideas, your dreams? Or am I merely moving you to temporary and reactive action? And even though the latter is no mean task, it is one that must be seen within the context of a need for true alteration of the very foundations of our lives. The white fathers told us, I think, therefore I am. The black mother within each of us, the poet, whispers in our dreams, I feel, therefore I can be free. Poetry coins the language to express and charter this revolutionary demand, the implementation of that freedom. However, experience has taught us that action in the now is also necessary, always. Our children cannot dream unless they live. They cannot live unless they are nourished. And who else will feed them the real food without which their dreams will be no different from ours? If you want us to change the world someday, we at least have to live long enough to grow up, shouts the child. Sometimes we drug ourselves with dreams of new ideas. The head will save us. The brain alone will set us free. But there are no new ideas still waiting in the wings to save us as women or as human. There are only old and forgotten ones, new combinations, extrapolations, and recognitions from within ourselves, along with the renewed courage to try them out. And we must constantly encourage ourselves and each other to attempt the heretical actions that our dreams imply and so many of our old ideas disparage. 
In the forefront of our move towards change, there is only poetry to hint at possibility made real. Our poems formulate the implications of ourselves, what we feel within and dare to make real for being action in accordance with our fears, our hopes, our most cherished terrors. For within living structures defined by profit, by linear power, by institutional dehumanization, our feelings were not meant to survive. Kept around as unavoidable adjuncts or pleasant pastimes, feelings were expected to kneel to thought as women were expected to kneel to men. But women have survived as poets, and there are no new pains. We have felt them all already. We have hidden that fact in the same place where we have hidden our power. They surface in our dreams, and it is our dreams that point the way to freedom. Those dreams are made realizable through our poems that give us the strength and courage to see, to feel, to speak, and to dare. If what we need to dream to move our spirits most deeply and directly toward and through promise is discounted as a luxury, then we give up the core, the fountain of our power. We give up the future of our worlds. For there are no new ideas. There are only new ways of making them felt of examining what those ideas feel like being lived on Sunday morning at 7 a.m., after brunch, during wild love, making war, giving birth, mourning our dead, while we suffer the old longings, battle the old warnings, and fears of being silent and impotent and alone, while we taste new possibilities and strengths. Participants were Stefanie Hessler, Natascha Sartre, Hanna Weinberger, Alexandra Navratil, Julieta Aranda, Elise Lammer, Emily Ding, Laura Miriam Leonardi, Selina Grüter and Michelle Graf, Camille Alenia, Axel Stiefel, Katharina Brandl, Laga Condor, Rafaela Naldi Rosano and Mareike Dittmar. Moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website, www.institute-kunst.ch or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Institut Sush is part of a new museum initiative open to the public from January 2nd, 2019. More information can be found at www.museumsusch.ch. Editing and sound design, Elena Ziesser. Research assistant, Alice Wilke. Recordings, Konrad Siegel. Choir by Inka Teha and Emilia Alvarez. Produced by Institut Kunst Basel and Institut Susch, 
Artstations Foundation Switzerland 2018.